Welcome to AM Best Audio. I'm Lee McDonald with AM Best TV and Best Review. We're wrapping up our special presentation series, Critical Issues in Insurance Asset Management, by reviewing some of the biggest issues and getting the perspective of several leading insurance asset managers. I'm joined by Cindy Beaulieu, Managing Director and Portfolio Manager Conning, and I'm joined by Bill Rotatori, Chairman and CEO, New England Asset Management, known as NIAM. How would you describe today's investment environment for insurance asset managers? It's really quite attractive. Uh, in fact, the, the expression we've been using is these are the good old days because insurance companies can earn yields on investment grade fixed income that they haven't been able to earn in decades. And if you think about it, there's been a really profound change in the last 12 to 15 months. And what happened was after 14 years of central banks around the world engaging in zero interest rate policies, quantitative easing programs that all serve to you know, keep rates low, spreads tight, and suppress volatility has been completely reversed, right? And we're now, we're in, you know, rates are higher, uh, there's quantitative tightening going on, and that means the risk-reward trade-off is really quite compelling right now uh, in investment-grade fixed income. A quick example just would be single-A rated corporate bonds, you know, kind of bread and butter investment for an insurance company. It's at least double the yield of a year ago for the exact same risk. So that's the kind, you know, the kind of attractiveness we see in markets today is there's been a fundamental change, and it's, and it's, a, it's a good thing for insurance companies. Cindy, anything to add? I think it's safe to say it unfortunately remains one that is highly uncertain and very volatile. Uh, the sources of volatility continue to emerge as we have worked our way from what is mostly pandemic effects to now the impact of an extremely aggressive monetary policy tightening regime that we've been undergoing for a little over a year now. And so we remain in this period where interest rates are, uh, like I said, incredibly volatile and new pockets of uncertainty continue to emerge. In light of all of that, though, you know, markets have certainly reacted. It's been a combination of movements we've seen in Treasury rates as well as spreads, particularly in the bond market, have widened, and that has created some opportunities. So I think if you look at the market today, I think you can be selectively opportunistic. I think selectively is the important word there. Uh, as we were working our way out of COVID-19, there were a lot of opportunities across all sectors of the fixed income markets, and it almost didn't matter which ones you chose to pursue. It was kind of one of those instances where rising tides were lifting all boats. And now I hate to use the word because it's almost as common as uh, transitory was for the Fed a year ago, but idiosyncratic risk has absolutely increased. And so doing your fundamental homework first is extremely important in this environment. Not every issuer will have the same returns. So being diversified by industry, by issuer, and of course by sector is very important. But there's definitely some opportunities in this environment. Has the changed environment affected life insurers differently than property casualty insurers? How are each responding? Yeah, so it's a little bit from a from a business perspective, they've both dealt with some challenges. Um, you know, on the life insurance side of things, certainly 
elevated mortality was a big challenge for life insurers as we worked our way from the pandemic itself. For property casualty insurers, we've had a couple of years now of very high catastrophic losses. And in addition to that, because pricing has a bit of a lag in terms of pricing, premium pricing relative to the cost it is to pay out on a claim, PNC insurers have had some challenges along the lines of inflation as well. So they've each had to deal with their own business issues. The one thing that has affected them both fairly consistently is what's happened with the markets and the fact that we've had rates rise so quickly, creating so many unrealized losses in portfolios has certainly created a challenge, especially from a capital perspective. The thing that is important for property casualty insurers is they tend to operate more in the short and intermediate parts of the curve. So from a duration standpoint, they're not quite as subjected to the challenges we're seeing across the fixed income markets. But with that said, some of the worst volatility has been in the front end of the market. So I would say that both have been impacted by different issues uh, you know, as it relates to their business. But both are looking at the markets opportunistically um, as we look across the way they've kind of behaved in terms of asset allocation. If you look over the last several years, both property casualty and life insurers have consistently been giving up liquidity. They've been um, owning less and less of the very liquid parts of the bond market and focusing on things like private placements and alternative asset classes. So. It's actually helped insulate their portfolios a little bit from all that we've been going through, but it's been definitely a noticeable shift across both uh, insurance in areas of the insurance world. I think the other big difference uh, between the two, obviously, as I mentioned earlier, for PNC, they tend to be more focused on the short to intermediate part of the curve, life insurers, the long end. And one of the challenges you want to be careful about as you're managing investments in this environment is making sure that you do lock down appropriately the um, income opportunities that are in the market. And so I think in both cases, both life insurance and PNC companies have been focused on making sure their asset liability durations are appropriately matched and that they're not trying to you know, get too greedy with short high rates and giving up the ability to lock in some very attractive longer rates that we haven't seen in, in a decade, really. Bill, would you like to weigh in? Yeah, generally speaking, they're, they're, they're both confronted with the same set of circumstances, which is with rising rates, they have unrealized loss positions, yet they have uh, the opportunity to put on yields that are in excess of their current book yields or earning power. So the differences we see between P&C and life at these days is really gets back to the flexibility they have to take advantage of that environment. And the life side of the house, just a little bit more constrained because A, their, um, their liability costs are affected by rates, right? So they can't take complete advantage of that. And, you know, they've got things like IMR that, you know, limit the ability to have that drive through the income statement. PNC companies, a little more flexible. You know, they got shorter maturities, so they have more assets coming back to them that they can put out to work in a higher rate environment. Um, and so they have a little more flexibility. They, they seem to be taking advantage of it a little more. Coming up. For years, there was a big opportunity, opportunity cost to staying liquid and, and in cash, right? Because you had a steep yield curve, you earned zero. It was painful to have excess liquidity. Well, today, the yield curve's inverted. Money market funds and T-bills earn four and a half, five percent 
You're getting paid to wait for opportunities to emerge in this volatile environment. And later. The challenge, of course, is that you have so many stakeholders you're trying to satisfy as you're managing ESG risks in a portfolio. Uh, from regulatory concerns, rating agencies, boards of directors, shareholders, and not to mention C-suite individuals at, the, at these insurance companies, it's a challenge. Bill, what types of investments are most appropriate for insurers in a higher rate environment? You know, in this higher rate environment, we go back to the fact that the risk reward trade-off for investment grade fixed income has been most improved because of the, the recent events. So when we think about the priority and the focus for insurance companies, we think that ought to be it. Uh, relative to other asset classes. So we, we see strong relative value in investment-grade fixed income across the board, plus some particularly attractive areas within, like, say, the structured security space. And a you know, quick math uh, you know, tells you kind of the, the opportunity for an insurance company. Take a, your average P&C insurance company. They have $2.5 of assets on average for every dollar of capital. If we can earn 5% in investment-grade fixed income, which we can today, that's 12.5 points of pre-tax ROE contribution just from their fixed income portfolio. That goes a long way towards a 15% ROE target for an insurance company. So we think the relative attractiveness of investment-grade fixed income is something that insurers should be taking advantage of in this higher rate environment. Yeah, I think one of the things that we have seen, um, particularly over the last year, is the um, ability to own a lot of different sectors in the bond market again. The focus had been for a while, you know, back to the good old corporate bond market. It's the easiest, most liquid place to operate. It offered the best relative value. And I think one of the things that's really changed, particularly over the last year, is that the mortgage market has become quite interesting. And one of the things that insurers really should be thinking about when we're in an environment like this, where we are on the back of such aggressive monetary tightening and heading into some economic weakness, is you want to make sure that you're protected from some of that economic weakness. And so you want to make sure you have investments in the portfolio that are of higher quality, they're relatively liquid. As I said, you know, they've been giving up liquidity for a while. This is the time to buy a little bit of that liquidity back. So I think things like mortgages, where you're getting a AAA product at yields that are comparable or even better than investment grade corporate bonds, is definitely an opportunity for insurance companies in the current environment. And that's both agency and non-agency mortgages. Another thing is esoteric asset-backed securities. You know, they offer something unique and diversified, which is very important when you're managing insurance portfolios. So that's another way to think about um, a different part of the fixed income market that I think insurance companies are focusing more and more on in the current environment and still give up liquidity. There's room for that, you know, to the extent it makes sense given your product lines and the challenges your businesses may be facing. But there's definitely the ability to continue to give liquidity. The one thing that we always make sure as we're thinking about that, like looking at things like private placement securities, is that you're getting paid appropriately for it tends to have a little bit of a lag. So if we see a big rally, if spreads tighten across the public fixed income markets, they don't quickly as tight, tighten quickly as much in the uh, private markets. But 
over time it catches up. And the same can be said in reverse. So you just wanna make sure that as spreads are widening the public markets, that you're patient with the private markets and waiting to get paid appropriately. How should insurers handle the possibility that the investing environment could again change substantially? I think that gets back to something I briefly mentioned in my answer to the last question, which was about making sure that they're appropriately matched in terms of assets and liabilities. Strategic asset allocations are very important, and they really guide the way an insurance company's investment portfolio should be managed. This is not the time to be straying from those strategic allocations. It's the time to be making sure that you're really aligned as best you can be. It's tempting when you have got yields in excess of 5% for you know, the two-year part of the market. That's very tempting. But in reality, if you've got liabilities that are much longer than that, you've got to be sure that you're locking that down along the way. So I think some of it is just really sticking to what your strategy should be for your portfolio and not putting it off to the side because there may be some really great short rates out there that you want to take advantage of. You can do that in small doses, but you still have to make sure you're appropriate aligned at the end of the day. The other thing I would say comes back to diversification and whether it's at the asset class type, the sector of the market, the industry, the issuer, it's all critically important. I think one of the things that we have seen, as I said before, with idiosyncratic risk on the rise, you don't want to be in a place where one particular position in your portfolio completely blows it up. And that is the risk if you don't continue to maintain some level of diversification. So you definitely want to make sure that that's something you're doing as well. The last thing I would say is liquidity. To the extent insurance companies have the ability to keep some dry powder, there may be some good opportunities You know, as the economy weakens and some of these industries and issuers struggle a little bit, their spreads will widen. Those could be opportunities you want to take advantage of. We also expect that the uh, interest rate curve is going to normalize as we work our way through and past this current monetary tightening cycle. And so you want to be able to take advantage of a normal interest rate curve plus spreads uh, when the time is appropriate for that. So having some dry powder um, and certainly with the rates you're able to achieve in treasury bills um, or commercial paper or even money market funds, there's some pretty attractive ways to keep some, some liquidity. And there's always, of course, things like FHLB borrowing that could be accessed as well. Thank you, Cindy. And Bill? Uh, I think it's as simple as insurance companies should be prepared. And in today's environment, holding a little bit of excess cash or excess liquidity than you may have traditionally is a good thing, is the right thing. Because think about um, the, the, the reversal in Fed policy and what that means to markets. Fed policy has, has, for, you know, for the longest time did, did three things. It kept, it kept treasury yields low, it, it compressed credit spreads, and it suppressed volatility. So now all those things are reversing given the reversal in Fed policy. So we've got more volatility in markets. You should be, insurance companies should be more opportunistic based on that. And so holding a little dry powder, little excess cash in today's markets makes a lot of sense to be prepared for that change. Now, the good news is the opportunity cost of doing that is minimal. For years, there was a big opportunity cost to staying liquid and in cash, right? Because you had a steep yield curve, you earned zero. It was painful to have excess liquidity. Well, today, 
The yield curve's inverted. Money market funds and T-bills earn four and a half, five percent. You're getting paid to wait for opportunities to emerge in this volatile environment. So I think anticipating that change, being prepared, and having a little excess liquidity to take advantage of it makes a lot of sense. When we return... The challenge, of course, is that you have so many stakeholders you're trying to satisfy as you're managing ESG risks in a portfolio. Uh, from regulatory concerns, rating agencies, boards of directors, shareholders, and not to mention C-suite individuals at, the, at these insurance companies, it's a challenge. One topic that's come up uh, certainly in the past few years is ESG. And how are insurers addressing ESG and their invested assets? It's a good question. I, you know, I'd say, and it's tough to generalize, but generally speaking, uh, I think insurance companies are approaching it in a very prudent manner. And what I mean by that is there's still some uncertainties out there with respect to ESG, whether it's regulatory guidance, reporting burden, things of that nature. Uh, so, you know, I think what we see from insurance companies is a, a nice methodical progression of making steps in the right direction around ESG. So what we see is we see uh, increased awareness for sure, increased incorporation of ESG risks into investment practices, and we see, um, you know, and into decision-making, uh, and we see uh, modifications and enhancements to investment guidelines and policy statements to incorporate ESG restrictions, whether that's exclusion rules or other things. And I would say, you know, I get back to like how we see insurance companies approaching this very prudently, because one of the things that's been an area of focus for a lot of the clients we work with and folks we see is gaining that understanding within their organization about what their values are, what their constituent values are, and how and what do they want reflected in their investment policies? And we think that's a good place to start because that's you know gives you a good authentic uh, approach to ESG and incorporating it into your investment portfolio. Thank you, Bill. And Cindy? That is uh, definitely a growing field of, I would say, a combination of interest, focus, and concern. The challenge, of course, is that you have so many stakeholders you're trying to satisfy as you're managing ESG risks in a portfolio. Uh, from regulatory concerns, rating agencies, boards of directors, shareholders, and not to mention C-suite individuals at, the, at these insurance companies, it's a challenge. And so trying to get the right balance in what is also unfortunately a highly politicized area uh, now as well has become really difficult, but it is absolutely something that insurance companies are focusing on. It's just not one size fits all. And I don't think it can be. I don't think that you know we're going to be in a place where every insurance company can say they meet certain specific metrics by a certain date. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some transition. And eventually we'll get to a place where I think everybody's reporting on very consistent metrics. Some companies are looking at it as a way to just make sure that their portfolio is doing what they should be uh, in terms of being good stewards. Some are more interested in matching what the regulators are looking for, and some are trying to be at the forefront. And so it's really important as you're managing insurance assets 
that you're talking with the people that are within the companies themselves and making sure you're meeting their objectives and needs. That's something we've been focused on as a firm for uh, over a decade now, as we've been a member of the PRI and really tried to help our guy, our clients and guide them through the ESG process. And what black swan type of events should insurance asset managers keep in mind? <laughs> there's, there's, there's always a long list of, of, of worries for sure. And today, uh, I'd say there's a, uh, when we go through our risk management practices, uh, there's a number of things that bubble up as potential kind of black swan catalysts to markets. And you think about China and their relationship with Taiwan. What could that mean if there were a, a blockade or a military event? Uh, you think about the debt ceiling crisis. That could certainly be a, a catalyst for volatility here. We still have a Russia-Ukraine war going on. Uh, and we've got a mini banking crisis out there. So there's a number of things that are potential black swans. I guess the one we would highlight uh, would be, you know, and, and it's not because it's any, in any greater uh, magnitude than others, but just because it's more tangible to us and something we can quantify, monitor, and, and either avoid or take advantage of is what's going on in commercial real estate. You know, because if you think about it's got both secular and cyclical challenges. You know, rates are higher, cap rates are up, valuations are down. Uh, we've, they're going to have uh, rent roll issues going forward, right? As leases come due and corporations try and consolidate footprint based on work from home policies, that's going to have uh, put some pressure on them. And you know, regional banks provide probably close to fifty percent of the capital to the commercial real estate industry. So. We think those things are, it's going to be probably a slow burn, uh, but we think there's risks in there to mitigate and, and opportunities that will emerge in that space. Something to pay attention to. That's a very interesting point. And Cindy? The beauty of a black swan is it's almost impossible to predict. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's again goes back to if you're managing a portfolio and you're managing your business in a way that you think is most consistent with what you're trying to accomplish and achieve then yes, black swan events will be painful. I think it was, you know, look back at 2008, it was very difficult to avoid taking pain through that period. But if you're a company that needs to stay in very high quality assets and you hadn't strayed outside of that, if you're a company that needs to stay very core fixed income focused and not buy securities that are more esoteric in nature or, or unique or, or more risky, then, then you definitely came through that better than some others did. So I think it comes back to just staying true to what you're trying to accomplish with your company and your investment portfolio. But unfortunately, you know, trying to name a black swan event is, like I said, nearly impossible. I think if you look at what happened through COVID-19, there were some questions whether or not even COVID-19 itself was one, but it's not. Pandemics happen all the time. However, the, the uh, coordinated global shutdown that we went through, that definitely had an unbelievable impact on economies and markets. And so you know, those events, you want to be able to take advantage of them as you start to work your way through the backside of them. But otherwise, it's, it's just being you know, very consistent with what you're trying to accomplish. Thank you for joining us. For complete coverage of our four parts special presentation series, Critical Issues in Insurance Asset Management, please visit bestreview.ams.com forward slash asset 23. I'm Lee McDonald for AMS TV.
Looking to get the full attention of the insurance industry? We have the platforms that will do just that. Whether it be AM Best TV, AM Best Audio, Best Review Magazine, or Best Day. Find out more by calling AM Best Advertising Sales at 908-439-2200, extension 5399, and have a great day.